Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is the Christian Gospel? What did Jesus challenge his audiences to believe as the Gospel or good news? What did he mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the Kingdom of God? When did you last hear a preacher or evangelist invite us to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God, as Jesus always invited his audiences to do, as, for example, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? It's a remarkable fact that the term gospel is very seldom defined in current times. We hear a great deal about accepting Jesus, accepting Christ as your personal Savior, but we hear very little by way of an exact definition of what the gospel, the good news as Jesus preached it, really is. It's customary for preachers to quote isolated verses from Paul. Romans 10 is a favorite passage. And these give us the notion that all we have to do is to accept Jesus, the fact that he rose from the dead and died for our sins, and provided we do that, so the popular idea goes, nothing can ever prevent us from going to heaven. And going to heaven is the popular language to describe the objective of the Christian faith. We're supposed to go to heaven. Now, the remarkable thing is that this sort of language is strangely unbiblical. In fact, if you'll take a New Testament and go through the word accept, accepted, and so on, you will find that in a number of cases the Bible says that God accepts us rather than us accepting Jesus. For instance, in Ephesians 1, verse 6, we read that God has made us acceptable. It's much closer to the biblical language to say that we receive the gospel message itself, the word of the kingdom, or when we receive Jesus, a further definition is given to that phrase, as for example in John 1 verse 12, as many as received him, to them God gave the right to become the sons of God, that's to say those who believe in his name. You notice that additional phrase, believing in the name of Jesus, which, of course, takes us right back to his teachings. Now, to believe in the name of someone means to believe in all that they stand for. The word name in the Bible is almost equivalent to the word revelation. Not only do we have to believe in Jesus, but we have to believe in the message that's revealed through him. Now, that's a critically important point. It isn't sufficient to quote half the verse there in John 1, verse 12, where we read of receiving Jesus, without also reading the latter part of that verse, which is an explanatory phrase that tells us what it means to receive Jesus. And what it means is that we have to believe in the name of Jesus, John 1, verse 12. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, we just have to believe in the sound, Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. It means that we must believe in everything that Jesus stands for, his whole agenda, and in fact, his own gospel message. In the very same gospel of John, in chapter 17 and verse 8, we read that Jesus said of the disciples that they had received his word, his message, his gospel. And that was the thing that distinguished those apostles from the multitudes in Israel who never took Jesus with utmost seriousness. Those apostles had received the message of Jesus. They had taken to heart the word of Jesus. And that's what it means to accept Jesus in the Bible. It isn't enough just to say, I accept Jesus without some information about what it means to accept him, and what he asks us to accept. Let's put it this way. 
Not only must we accept Jesus and believe in him, but we must also believe what Jesus believed and taught. You see, the matter is really very simple. If we go to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, we do not read that Jesus came into Galilee saying, please accept me. He didn't even say at that stage, please accept the fact that I died for you and I'm going to rise again. Rather, he said something different. He said, I'm bringing you the message from God, God's gospel, and that gospel is called the gospel about the kingdom of God. He then told the people to repent, that's to say to turn around, to have a new perspective on life, to adopt a new horizon in the whole of their thinking, and to accept the gospel of God, which Jesus called the gospel about the kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. We read there that Jesus came into Galilee, and he commanded people to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God. I think you'll see a difference between that sort of language and the language that we popularly hear in current preaching. Now, this could be a serious difference because nothing must be altered in the gospel. We all know that. All Bible students recognize that the gospel is sacrosanct. We mustn't add to it and we mustn't take away from it. And so it's most important to be precise about what Jesus commanded when he urged people to accept the gospel message as it came from his lips. And that gospel message has a label. It has an identity marker. It's called the gospel about the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Our churches, I think, would do well to return to that basic language of Jesus himself. After all, it must make sense that if we're claiming to follow Jesus, we would want to use the same language as he. We'd want to begin to think as Jesus thinks and thought and to preach as he preached. And so the first thing that I would recommend to preachers far and wide is that they readopt the language of Jesus himself and start talking always about the gospel of the kingdom of God. The next task then would be to define what that kingdom of God is so that we can indeed repent with intelligence and turn around and give up our own ways of thinking, our own lifestyle, and begin to focus our attention upon the gospel about the kingdom of God. This surely would be the way to follow Jesus if we take his commands seriously. Let me make the same point in a different way. We all believe in the Great Commission, the marching orders given to the church at the end of the 28th chapter of Matthew. Jesus there says, Go into all the world and teach them to observe everything that I taught you. And behold, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. Could Jesus have made it any plainer? Isn't it absolutely obvious from that text that he expected the disciples, in fact the disciples of all ages, to relay carefully the exact same teachings that he had given to those original apostles? Take everything he said that I have taught you and teach it to people throughout the world. Disciple them in the very same teachings that I gave you. Now, if we were to turn in our Bibles one page forward from Matthew 28 and look at the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, we would begin to see what it is that Jesus called his disciples to do. After all, he gave the perfect example. He commanded people to follow him. And what was the first commandment that Jesus ever gave? Well, there it is, right staring us in the face. In chapter 1 of Mark, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, Repent, that's to say, turn around. Change your lifestyle. Orientate yourself to a brand new perspective and a new horizon. Repent and believe. Believe the gospel of the kingdom of God. There it is. 
There's the foundation of the whole ministry of Jesus and of Christianity itself. That's a summary statement of what he was preaching day after day in Galilee and what he was teaching in their synagogues. And it had to do with the kingdom of God. It required a complete reorientation on the part of the disciples so that they would grasp his message about the kingdom and believe it and make it part of their life. Now, the amazing thing is that you seldom hear any preacher today inviting us to take seriously that first commandment of Jesus Christ. Often we will be launched into the middle section or the later section of Jesus Christ's teaching. Often we aren't even told very much about the teaching of Jesus at all. We're invited only to consider the epistles of Paul and other writings in the New Testament. But what has happened to the foundation here of the gospel? What has happened to our concentration on the very words of Jesus as he defined the Christian gospel? Have we assumed that Jesus only came to do three days' work? Have we mistakenly thought that Jesus only came to die and to be buried and to rise again? Have we perhaps wrongly thought that the gospel is only the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Now, that cannot be true, because Jesus preached the gospel for years before he even mentioned his death and resurrection. Indeed, he sent his apostles out to preach the gospel, a saving gospel before they even understood that Jesus was going to die. Now, that must prove that the gospel consists of information other than, and in addition to, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Look, for example, at Luke chapter 8, verse 12, and compare it with Matthew 13, verse 19. Luke 8, 12, compared with Matthew 13, 19. Here we have a most illuminating lesson. Jesus said in the parable of the sower, that when anybody hears the message or gospel or word about the kingdom of God, the devil comes and snatches away that message which has been sown in his heart so that he cannot believe it and be saved. There you have it, a clear indication of how Jesus tells us how we're to be saved. It's by believing his gospel about the kingdom of God, and that initially did not include knowledge of his death and resurrection. That knowledge came later. Of course, it's absolutely true that later on, the death and resurrection of Jesus did occur, and these facts were then added to the gospel. But the original foundation of the gospel message was given by Jesus himself, and it was the gospel about what he called the kingdom of God, to which were added later then the facts about his death and resurrection and other related teachings which he delivered through the apostles after he himself had left the world and had ascended to the right hand of the Father. I wonder if you've thought about this Three times in the New Testament we have repeated accounts of the ministry of Jesus. There are three books, in fact four, but three primarily, which give an almost verbatim, repeated accounts of the teachings of Jesus Christ, his gospel of the kingdom. Isn't it remarkable that God three times repeated the very same teachings of Jesus so that we would not miss them? And in every case, these three works, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, established beyond any doubt a foundation for the belief in the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew we learn in the fourth chapter, verse 17, that Jesus came into Galilee preaching and proclaiming and heralding the gospel about the kingdom of heaven, which incidentally is exactly the same as the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, again we have belief in the gospel of the kingdom as the foundation of true Christianity. Belief in the gospel of the kingdom 
is also to be found in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. And there Jesus said that the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom was the very reason for which God had commissioned him. And he went on to explain that that was the message, the saving message. So in all three of these accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, God makes it absolutely clear to us, through Jesus, that the kingdom of God is the foundation of all true belief. It's belief in Jesus and his message of the kingdom. Jesus inseparable from his message of the kingdom of God. That's what constitutes the foundation of salvation as Jesus preached it. It's surprising to us that these three foundational accounts of how the gospel works, indeed what the gospel is, are not given a great deal more attention in preaching today. The importance of the gospel cannot be over-exaggerated. Jesus spoke of an essential and vital seed of immortality which must lodge in our hearts if we are to receive the life of the age to come or indestructible life when Jesus returns. Jesus insisted upon the fact that we have to be born again. And how does rebirth happen? It happens when we receive into our hearts and minds the gospel of the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it. That's the gospel that conveys the seed and spark of immortality which leads to the life of the age to come in the future kingdom. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God. Look up the verses we've been bringing to you and check them in your own Bible at home. Join me again as I continue to investigate Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.